Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Locked On Texans, your daily podcast covering your favorite football team every single day. And as always, I am your host, Cody Davis, along with my partner in crime. John, some sports guy, Hickman, your boy, the other half of the Locked On Texans duo. This is your daily Texans talk and news podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment, of course, or overbearing sports parents. Fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch. So, guys, I get a, uh, I get a text today. I get a text from my co-host, Cody Davis, and there's a screenshot, and then he goes, you got to explain this. And if you follow us on Twitter at Locked On Texans, go ahead and do that. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Texans and subscribe on Facebook. Hit the like button on Facebook, rather. But I tweeted earlier on the page, Jadavion Clowney and the Houston Texans um, will re- reunite basically that he should be here in Houston again um, next year. And so he, he texts me like this was something that would be absurd of a thought and we want to talk about it. So today, of course, we have our uh, locked on crossover edition with the locked on bears. That's going to be fun. And if you guys know me, you guys know, I have a couple of questions regarding, I don't know what position, maybe a quarterback. Can't wait to talk over talk on with the Bears with that, but there's a couple of things I wanted to hit on early, Cody, and listeners uh, at home or while you were in your car, grocery store, doesn't matter. First and foremost, I wanted to look at the importance of the last four to five games. But in foreshadowing next year, why do I feel like Jadavion Clowney would be a good fit with Houston? Well, we drafted him in 2014, number one overall. And I was actually talking to some friends of mine and I asked him, do we think Jadavion's a bust? Three, three sacks in the last two years, um, hasn't been able to play 37% of his games. He just recently had been declared out for the rest of the season, no sacks on the year. And so, you know, I'm thinking to myself, when, when did we ever see Jadavion Clowney good? That was in Houston. And we can all kind of credit a large part to why he's no longer in Houston is because how he was handled by whom? Bill O'Brien, who is no longer in Houston. So Houston sports culture, although it can be labeled as toxic, depending on what side of the uh, freeway that you're standing in, if you can be on the 59 side, you may be looking right at the uh, you may be looking at the, the Minute Maid and you may be looking at the Toyota Center. And so the Toyota Center has been labeled toxic as of late, but so has Houston Texans on 16 and Kirby. But athletes love Houston. This is a doubt. Any athlete that comes to Houston, they buy homes here. They start businesses here. They always frequently come back. Very hard to leave the city. Although the sports franchises have been kind of toxic and sometimes poverty level. Now, 
Bill O'Brien is gone. Jadavion Clowney will need a home next year. Jadavion Clowney, after this year especially, cannot expect top pass rushing money. One thing that Houston has a huge trouble with the last two years is stopping the run. And Jadavion Clowney isn't necessarily a pass rusher. That's not his dynamic. His dynamic is being so good at everything that you can't really over, he's not really overused in one area, but he's so great at stopping the run. When we first heard about Jadavion Clowney on the national scene, it wasn't a blow by spin move, whatever the case you want to call it for a sack. No, he bust through the offensive line and smacked the hell out of Michigan. Forgot the running back. Was that Denard Robinson at the time? I can't remember. Whoever it was at South Carolina, that's how he became Jadavion Clowney. That clip alone boosted him to the number one player selected in the NFL draft, which whom at the time the Houston Texans had a control over. So they are really a match made in heaven, Cody. And that's why I said that. Houston next year have to fix the run. Like that's a priority when you look at issues that need to be fixed. If you take your car and you just want to go in there and get an oil change and he comes back, well, you need your tires rotated. You also need a new this. And you also, your, your AC is leaking. Houston is one of those cars. You got a lot of things that's going on right here. And, and if you don't get this fixed soon, you will have to buy a new car. Jadavion Clowney helps with the run. When he was a pro bowler, he was very stout at the run. He was very stout at getting to the backfield and affecting the run in a great way. He was also good that year getting after the quarterback. And it doesn't seem like we're going to actually move on from J.J. Watt. Of course, it's early on uh, in the season to the point where, yes, the season is almost over, but the entirety of what Houston can do before the next time they play a full season of football is really just getting started. Uh, but I think he will be here next year. I disagree with that, but I think he will be here. And I think reuniting Jadavion Clowney with J.J. Watt is a good idea because those two guys help balance off help balance off your defensive line. That's why I think that he would be uh, grateful to come back to Houston. I think Houston would be grateful to have him back. There's a mutual party that's no longer in here, in this building. Come on back home understand your take about the possibility of reuniting with Jadavion Clowney, but it's a no for me. <laughs> In the words of Randy Jackson on American Idol, it's a no for me, dog. And I say that because a reunion with Clowney will go against what I have been preaching all season. The chance to get younger and talented guys that can actually help lay a foundation and be a part of the Texans' future. Clowney, whichever team he signs with, He's going to be in the same situation he has been over the past two seasons, trying to prove to an organization that he is worth a max contract on a prove-it deal. And if he wants to come back to Houston, I don't see Clowney being a part of the Texans' future plan. And besides, given how much he has digressed over these last two years, Houston you can actually make a point that they actually have better players at this stage in his career. A guy like Charles Aminihu, I think he's better. Plus, I don't think Jadavion Clowney has the ability to play multiple positions like he once did. You know, he is labeled as a defensive end, but of course he at sometimes was able to, to play some linebacker. Look at the linebackers that the Houston Texans have. Zach Cunningham, Terrell Adams, and even Jacob Martin, a guy that he was traded for 
all of those guys are better than Clowney at this stage in his in his career. And between Amanihu, Cunningham, Adams, Martin, all four of these guys have a combined total of nine sacks this season. Jadavion Clowney has not recorded not one this year prior to his season in the knee surgery. And I get it. Sacks are not the total package. John, you talked about the ability, the possibility of the Texans improving their run defense. I think whether they get Jadavion Clowney or not, I believe there are going to be better players on the market or even in the draft that can actually help with the Texans run defense. I'm coming from a guy who was a big fan of Jadavion Clowney doing his first stint in Houston. But at the end of the day, John, I think you are basing this off of Clowney and his glory days in Houston rather than looking at what Jadavion Clowney is today in 2020. You know, a good point. Maybe I am getting caught up in what I remember he was able to do while he was in Houston and, and also understanding that the, the two previous uh, memories, seasons that we have of him have been very disappointing to the point where if you, you have to add those two seasons to his resume and say, wow, this guy's been in the league six or seven years and he's really a bust. And so, but your point to seeing what the younger guys have, very important because while we look at what they could possibly bring in in the future, they still have to look at who's here on the roster right now. And that's very important because John Reed has played an average of 7.6 snaps percent of snaps. Isaiah Cola hasn't played a down in the NFL for the for the Texans. Ross Blacklock has played an average of 23.4 snaps. Jonathan Grenard has played an average of 18% of snaps. And Jacob Martin, who we traded Jadavion Clowney for, has played an average of 35.7% of snaps. And so in the last four to five games of this season, whatever you were trying to accomplish early on when you started out the season on four, you was trying to climb your way back to whatever goal you have, stop it, put a period on it, let it go. If I'm the Texans, and take time, take the rest of the time to explore what you could have had in the preseason. In the preseason, in order to give you an opportunity to see what your rookies, Isaiah Kotler, John Reed, Jonathan Gennard, and Ross Blacklock can do. And also, you mentioned about the Texans getting younger. Jacob Martin is only in his third year. He's been way more productive in his percentage of snap time than Whitney Merciless has been. And that's why it's very important that he's still considered a young guy, right? He also needs some more playing time. We can see what we have out of him and address other needs in the offseason if we know that we have players at a position that we can at least start moving forward and worry about maybe backups or bringing in uh, situational guys to help our defense out. But overall, I like your point to where seeing what they have younger-wise maybe in the future, but you still have young guys on this roster right now that we need to see more of. And John Reed playing an average of 7.6% of snaps just doesn't cut it for me. So I go to my grandmother's house today. And um, every time I go to my grandmother's house, she makes sure that I check the mail because sometimes depending on the package, I still send things over there. And I'm looking, I'm looking, and I'm looking through everything. And she says, well, don't forget the packages under the chair. She puts all of our packages under the chair. I check my mail, checking the packages. And guess what I get in the mail? I finally get my built bar powder. And I'm actually drinking some 
right now doing the show. And so whether it's a mental or physical wall, break through it with Go every day. Easy to take in 1.5 ounce packages. Put it in your briefcase for the most focused presentation ever. Your golf bag to power through the back nine or put it in your pocket to get through the day. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's a five hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus it's natural, so it's better for the body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. Visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code L-O-C-K-E-D for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go! And by that, I mean Locked On Bears. We're going to talk about Chicago Bears. What can they do on Sunday? And we're going to talk about the Houston Texans. What can we do on Sunday? Can't wait. Love these episodes, of course. Be back shortly. And Texans fans, don't forget to check out the show on Fridays to make sure you get your final news and updates before the weekend. Welcome into this crossover Thursday edition. Lauren Cox from Lockdown Bears here with the hosts of Lockdown Texans, Cody Davis and John Hickman. And uh, you know, I, I imagine the broadcast and everything leading up to this game will focus a lot on Trubisky versus Deshaun Watson. I don't really want to spend any time hammering that point over and over again, but I do want to start with this Texans offense in particular, because you can, you know, you look at the stats, even just the box score real quick, and you see that they're throwing the ball really well. I mean, they're among the league leaders in a lot of passing categories. Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller both have quite a few passing yards. And I'm curious from your guys's perspective, when you look at, the offense as a whole has has the passing game really been as stellar as the numbers look or have some has some of this been a little bit inflated by the Texans defense struggling and getting into a lot of these shootouts where they need Deshaun Watson to pass for 400 yards to stay in the game well I think it's a very great very great question first of all but it's a hand in hand right I mean Yes, the defense is terrible. But in the last three games, we look at our defense who've played uh, great moments, have great moments. Defensive play caller, uh, D.C. Anthony Weaver has called great games defensively, going back to what they were able to do in New England. And so that kicked off their first two-game winning streak that got their first back-to-back win. And so the defense has struggled for majority of the year. But I think if we're going to look at the entirety of what the offense really is, because there's no, there's no balance. We cannot run the ball. So the ball is in Deshaun Watson's hand more, but we weren't really able to run the ball that effectively last year. We just had a better running back and our offensive line was better. And so Carlos Hyde was able to rush for over a thousand yards for the first time in his career, but we still threw the ball significantly more than we ran the ball. And Deshaun Watson had great numbers. He also had a great number one receiver. He doesn't have that this year. And when we thought we was on, on our way to something, then Will Fuller gets bust for PDs. He is this entire offense. And the passing game has been prolific. When, when Will Fuller was on the field, he was Deshaun Watson's go-to closer in the third and fourth quarter. When Brandon Cooks had Will Fuller on the other side, he was the go-to receiver in the first and second quarter, especially in the first quarter alone. And so... Watson's ability to get everybody involved and you never really know who's going to be that receiver to have a big game. Like Brandon Cooks was available this past Sunday. We lost that heartbreaker in Indy. But Kiki QT and Chad Hansen had over 100 yards. 
Chad Hansen, who hadn't played a down with Deshaun Watson, had over 100 yards. So he uses his ability. He's gotten much better at this, scanning the field. His pocket presence has gotten better. And he's finding guys in order to get bigger chunk of plays. This offense has been amazing because of the passing game and the lack of running game. But to your point, the defense has been bad overall. Yeah, Cody, what has been the issue in the running game? I think, you know, from the outside, we think of David Johnson as a a good running back from his time in Arizona. I know his availability has been kind of up and down there for a little bit. And behind him, you know, Duke Johnson's not a, a number one back, but a guy who's had some production in the league. How much do you blame on the running back talent versus the offensive line that I know they've tried to make some efforts to improve, but maybe hasn't quite gotten as much better as they would have wanted? But that's the problem. David Johnson is not a good running back here in Houston. And I I don't want to sound mean, but David Johnson just has not been good. What, what is the number one issue of the Texans not having a good run game this year? Is it the offensive line or is it because the, of the lack of talent in the backfield? I'm going to say it's the lack of talent because is the offensive line a, a great line for a running back to, to run behind? No, not by far. But I always say this. Carlos Hyde, as John just alluded to. Carlos Hyde rushed for a thousand yards last year, which was by far his career best. And I will make the argument that he actually ran behind a weakened offensive line because Titus Howell wasn't there. I believe Titus Howell only played six to eight games as a rookie before he went down with an ACL tear. This year, Titus Howell has been phenomenal. You have Laramie Tunsil. I get the interior is not that great, but there is no reason for David Johnson to be as bad. And look, the talent that you showcase in Arizona, and I'm not just talking about the one year where he was arguably the best running back in the game, but the talents that he showcased in Arizona, I don't know what happened, but it did not translate here in Houston. Um, Once again, I, I get it that the offensive line is not that good, but David Johnson is just not that great as a running back. And I'm very frustrated looking at David Johnson. I'm to the point I hate to see him trot out on the field. (laughs) I would much rather Duke Johnson be our starting running back. Duke isn't that much better, but he has shown the ability to be a little bit more productive than what we are getting from David Johnson. And it also doesn't help the reason why David Johnson is here and we look what's going on in Arizona. It just make it a little bit more worse. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's there's a lot of frustration that surrounds this team, but at least you know you can look over the last few games really since the bye week, they've won three out of the last five, and even that defense that struggled so poorly early on hasn't given up more than 26 points in a game since that bye week. John, you touched on it a little bit in terms of some defensive improvement. Do you have any sense of what the difference has been or, or what has led to some of this success lately that maybe wasn't there earlier in the season? Yeah, I think the simplification of the defense has worked wonders for who we have on defense. Like, let's look, let's take a look at the Chicago Bears. You guys have all pros on your team. You got Akeem Nix, who, I mean, Hicks, who's one of my favorite interior defensive linemen in the league right now. He's just so good. You have Aaron, not Aaron Donald, you have Khalil Mack, and then your secondary is stout as well. And so going into uh, this this season, you guys were expected to be carried by your defense. Can I say that's correct? A fair statement? Absolutely. And so going into our season this year, we lost DJ Reader. Uh, we're losing pieces. 
Uh, guys are not coming back healthy. Gary Conley has not played a game this year. And so, and on top of that, now Anthony Weaver is in his first year of being a full DC. And so we were expecting bumps in the road and we didn't have, we didn't have studs at positions where we struggled at, right? We look at the front four, JJ Wise has gotten old and we see that and he doesn't have a Robin on the other side that at times can be a Batman for JJ, at least early on. Our linebacker core was, was you know, playing in shambles and our secondary is, we know what it is, it's bad, it's beyond bad. But in the last three games, the simplification of what they wanted to do has really helped this defense play much better. I want to go back to a simple quote of Anthony Weavers um, at the beginning of this season. And it was, he wants to have more exotic packages. Well, we don't have the players for exotic packages. We didn't have the players for exotic schemes and looks. And with that being said, everything's simple. They know what they do. They know what they need to do. They go to their positions and they play better. The tackling has been better. The confidence has been better. But I think bringing everything down to earth and making it easier for players to understand so they can get a groove, maybe it may be late, but it's that's why. Everything is simple for this defense, and it shows. I mean, we had a shutout against Indy. They did not score in the second half. Look what we did to the, to the Lions. Very great defensive performances in the last three weeks, going back to New England. Yeah, it's interesting how the Texans defense is really trending up in that positive direction. While at the same time, this Bears defense is coming off of its two worst games of the season back to back the last two games. We'll dive a little bit more into what's going on with this Bears defense and everything else about this game coming up on Sunday. Up next, as part two of this crossover Thursday with Locked On Bears and Locked On Texans continues. And this football season will be a little bit different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through the game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans, like you and I, like the entire world, especially after Thursday night football game, we're the real generational town of that Pepsi fuels, right? We don't go out there on the field. We may not catch passes, but we are the passionate fans. And because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch the game. Pepsi, made for football watching. Welcome back, listeners of the Locked On Texans and Locked On Bears, here along with Cody Davis and Lauren Cox. You know, Lauren, where are the Bears, right? And I know that may seem like a maybe a simple question to ask, but I think it's a a question that everybody wants to know, especially Houston fans that may not have a clue about what the Bears have going on in Chicago, but where are they? They don't know where they are. That's, <laughs> that's I think, the problem, right? Uh, they, they've lost six games in a row. They're in free fall, and they're just trying to stop falling at some point. I mean, they're just, you know, they, they've tried to clatch, scratch and claw their way to a win in Detroit. They blew that at the end of that game. They were embarrassed by the Green Bay Packers the week before that. And they're really running out of answers. And it's to the point now where everyone can pretty much assume that head coach Matt Nagy is going to be fired at the end of the season. Everyone is expecting the general manager, Ryan Pace, to also be fired at the end of this year. And that it's going to be a time for kind of cleaning house, moving on from the Mitch Trubisky era and regime and 
kind of tear some things down a little bit and maybe you have to go into a full-scale rebuild as you look for your next quarterback and new identity for what this team's going to look like. Lauren, what went wrong with the Nick Foles experience? Because when the Bears started 5-1, and one, I believe Foles started, what, four out of the first six games, and he was playing some pretty f- good football for Chicago. Yeah, this Bears season has been weird, I mean, in, in many ways, but it's specifically with the back and forth of these quarterbacks. So, and, you know, week one, week two, Mitch Trubisky starts, the Bears are okay, but pull out some some victories. And then week three against Atlanta, they find themselves behind in the fourth quarter. They switch to Nick Foles, and Foles makes the comeback victory and takes over the starting job. And, like, for those first three games, the Bears' offensive line was playing pretty well. The running game was p- playing pretty well. The receivers were doing their job. And it felt like the quarterback play just wasn't good enough. And so Matt Nagy said, all right, in order for this team to go to the next level, we need better quarterback play. Let's go to Nick Foles. And it seemed like not long after Nick Foles goes in the game and starts taking over this starting job, the offensive line starts having some injuries. And then there was a COVID outbreak among some offensive linemen. And so they were starting rookie seventh round picks and undrafted free agents on the offensive line. So the pass protection fell off the map. And along with that, the running game completely fell off the map. So you kind of had Nick Foles a little bit on his own in that regard. And, And there were some, build up in terms of trying to get on the same page with his new receivers and, you know, trying to make sure that he was comfortable in this offense, having not had a a real off season all to work with it. There was always going to be some of that ramping up and a learning curve there, but it's kind of like just as Foles came in, everything else around him really deteriorated. And he's a quarterback that needs a strong supporting cast. Like if you build a good team around him, he can take a team like the Eagles to the Super Bowl. But if he doesn't have those players around him, he can't, necessarily elevate everyone else to a higher level and so he was kind of caught up with a lot of other things collapsing around him and not really being able to play up to the standard that we have seen from him in the past then he gets hurt Trubisky comes back in and it has been okay and then you know they stuck with Trubisky now even though Foles is healthy again because Trubisky has historically had a lot of success against the Detroit Lions he did have a pretty good game last week but still can't win but it does feel like they're starting to get a little bit better offensive line play and a little bit better of a running game that could support a quarterback like Nick Foles if the Bears do end up at some point making a change back. But I think they're going to ride out with Trubisky as long as they can. Offensive uh, gurus, offensive gurus being good head coaches are really a myth to me. Outside of Sean McVay in the last 10 years, I can't really think of too many that worked out. And uh, Matt Nagy was supposed to be one of those guys. We've heard the complaints that the plays are too long and the offense hasn't thrived like I think Chicago Bear fans thought it would when he first arrived. Is the faith in him gone? Like, is he still the one moving forward at head coach? Or after you've seen what you've, the size, the sample size of him in the last uh, couple of seasons, is it enough to say he's not the coach for us anymore? The majority of Bears fans will tell you the faith is gone and they are not there's no belief anymore that he is uh, an offensive genius or innovator like the Kyle Shanahan's and, and Sean McVay's. And for a long time, you know, for the first couple of seasons, it was always this chicken and egg. Like when the offense is struggling, is it Mitch Trubisky? Is it, is it just that he's bad and Matt Nagy can't make it work with him? Or is Matt Nagy not doing enough to maximize Mitch Trubisky and his talents and the talents that they have? And I think now three years into this, we've determined that it's both (laughs) that yes, Mitch Trubisky is not a starting caliber NFL quarterback for at least a winning team. He's, he's not that good 
of a QB, and they clearly made a mistake in who they drafted in 2017. But we've also seen, whether it's Trubisky or Foles, there have been too many times where the game plan doesn't seem to properly adjust for the opponent that they have. And we've seen Matt Nagy try and fit players into his scheme as opposed to adjusting his scheme to the players that he does have. And so I I still think Matt Nagy could be an NFL head coach and could be a better head coach and a better overall offensive play caller with a better quarterback around him. But I think in Chicago, there's not going to be the patience to give him another chance with another quarterback given how two seasons in a row they've had five or more game losing streaks and really kind of collapsed down the stretch when they had some strong starts. And I think fans and ownership are just going to kind of be ready to move on and try again with somebody else. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, what has been going on with Khalil Mack? You know, it seems like he has digressed almost every single season from the high pedestal that he was riding on during his days with the Oakland Raiders, especially this year, given the fact that he has only recorded, I believe, five and a half to six sacks so far this season. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a mystery, but for me, he's very low on the list of issues with this defense, right? He, he has not been able to convert the sacks and that, that, and finishing, I think has been his big weakness this year. And over the last couple of seasons, he's still been able to get some decent pressure on the quarterbacks and get some of that penetration, but sometimes he gets a little bit out of position in that regard. And his teammates haven't been there to sort of clean up the damage that he, you know, when he kind of breaks free and breaks down the offensive line, somebody else should be able to then get free and bring the quarterback down. And they haven't really had anybody else to do so. So you know, he's still playing at a really high level in run defense, a great edge defender to be able to set the edge and redirect running backs back inside. The pass rushing has been a little bit disappointing. And, you know, if he wasn't the highest paid player on defense on this team and one of the highest paid players in the NFL, I don't think there'd be too many complaints because he's still, he's still doing a lot of very good things, but for this bears defense, a lot of the issue has been every, the other pass rushers, you know, the compliments kind of like what you're seeing with JJ Watt in Houston, where Max been, been all right, but he can't really do it by himself. And, Hicks has been a little bit disappointing. He's been injured and in and out of lineup. And particularly the other edge rusher, Robert Quinn, was their big free agent signing this year from Dallas. He had spent some time with the Rams before that. He was supposed to be a big upgrade over Leonard Floyd at the edge rusher spot. And he has been a complete bust and non-factor in any way, shape, or form as a pass rusher. And if you don't mind really quick, what's the outlook on the Bears secondary? Because, look, when you go up against the Houston Texans, like I mentioned in the other segment, we don't have much of a run game. But with Deshaun Watson on our team, we're going to attack the opposing team through the air a lot. So what's the outlook on the Bears secondary? Yeah, they they got more exposed last week against Matthew Stafford than I think anyone was expecting. For the most part, It's been a strong year for the secondary, but the last two games, Stafford and and Aaron Rodgers before that have challenged them, I think, in some new ways. So, you know, you got Kyle Fuller on one side. He's he's kind of been a a consistent, solid rock that they can rely on. He gave up a a big touchdown, one kind of 50-yard play last week. It was a kind of a blip on the radar. He's otherwise been really solid all season. The other outside cornerback is their rookie second-round pick, Jalen Johnson, who has been impressive for a second round pick, but is starting to look more and more like a rookie, you know, making some of those mistakes the last couple of weeks and just a little bit more vulnerable. So I would certainly expect the Texans to look there, but the big weakness on the back end for the bears has been the middle of the field. The slot cornerback buster screen has been particularly vulnerable. And then the linebackers, Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan, 
you know, Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford have just been eating them up alive these last two games. Any kind of deep crossing route over the middle of the field underneath stuff to tight ends. The Bears have given up quite a bit of yards to tight ends this season. That's where opposing offenses have found success. You know, Eddie Jackson and Tashawn Gibson, the former Texan, have been pretty solid at safety. It's not necessarily like the deep shots over the middle of the field, you know, 40 yards downfield, but it's that intermediate range, you know, 10 to 25 yards where you're still underneath the deep safety, but really kind of challenging those linebackers and slot defenders. That's where the Texans should be able to find a lot of their success more so than on the outside against the cornerbacks. I think when we look at what we have here in Houston, our struggles on offense, no, our struggles on defense rather, but the prolific offense that we've had this year, not prolific really to say, but the prolific play of Deshaun Watson compared to the lackluster play of quarterback in, in Chicago, the defense starting to break down. And honestly, I can understand because they've carried this team throughout the entire year, really for the last two years. If you plug maybe like Jared Goff into that quarterback system, um, you may take that team to the Super Bowl. Uh, but with that being said, what are your predictions for Sunday's game? Boy, you know, it's like after six straight losses, you feel like eventually they're going to get one, right? I mean, they can't keep losing over and over again. But the Lions were supposed to be that game where it's like, oh, it's Detroit. They just fired their head coach. And the Bears have, had been 4-0 and against Matt Patricia's Detroit Lions. So, in theory, you know, even though he's gone, it's still the same team. They were supposed to win that game. And they were in control for a lot of that game. And they found a new way to blow it at the very end. So, there's not a lot of reason for Bears fans to be super confident in beating the Texans, especially with how good Deshaun Watson is playing. I think he's going to be able to move the ball against this Bears defense, particularly over the middle of the field like we talked about. And they don't really need to be able to run the ball. And the Bears, I think, will be able to keep them in a little bit of a shootout. But I don't think it'll be enough to overcome just how well Watson has been playing. And I, I think the Texans will win it, but it'll still be a close one. The Bears will put up more points than I think some Bears fans might be expecting. But I don't know that this defense is going to be able to all of a sudden get back to what it's been able to do against yet another really high-quality quarterback. I totally agree with that statement. I think um, we will have – I think this will be a rejuvenation game for your defense um, because I think your front four defensively will have a field day with our offensive line. And I think your linebackers will be able to flow and affect the game tremendously. And then on top of that, that secondary may have a very nice outing uh, with, the, with the loss of Will Fuller and Chad Hansen going back to the practice squad. Still don't know – who's going to be able to make plays consistently for this revolving door at wide receiver that we have now and the lack of our running, our running game. And so I think your defense will be able to keep control of that, but I still think overall your offense is too bad. I don't trust either quarterback, uh, Allen Robinson, who I, who the Chicago bear fans love Allen Robinson, but I'm sorry to say, he will be gone soon. He's a dynamic receiver who knows he's great and just wants to show it. I think Houston wins this game uh, 21-18. And I may be giving you guys too many points, but I'm going to go 21-18. <laughs> um, it's hard for me to pick a winner. You know, Chicago, I was I was hearing a running joke that they were the worst 5-1 team of all time. And now we're starting to see that that statement was true. And then here in Houston, we just don't have enough weapons. You know, the loss of Will Fuller, the loss of Bradley Roby, our secondary has been terrible. I honestly don't know who has the upper hand 
in this matchup, but because you guys are not playing Nick the Goat Foles, I'm going to have to go with the Houston Texans and say Texans 27, Chicago Bears 21. Yeah, that, that scoreline feels about right where I think I would be too. You know, not going to be more than a touchdown victory, but I think both teams will hit 20 points. Yeah, I, I think so too. And the reason why I, I say Nick to go Foles, I am a huge believer in Nick Foles. I believe he never had a fair opportunity and he should still be in Philadelphia and that's good for the Eagles because that is why they're going through their own quarterback fiasco. But hey, you know, who am I? Who am I to say that I believe in Nick Foles? I really hope you will let that Nick Foles jazz go, man. I mean, it's just, <laughs> let it go. He's not good. He, it's, Nick, the man won a Super Bowl. He led a team Nick to Foles. a championship. And oh I have to remind you, he was Super Bowl MVP. You know, it's been two years of this. I'm not going to fight you on it anymore. I'm John, some sports guy, Hickman. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnTexans and like us on Facebook. And as always, I'm your host, Cody Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24. Once again, that's Cody, C-O-T-Y-D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace. You are Locked On Texans, your daily podcast on the Houston Texans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.